don't you turn to someone vaguely near you and say hello or give them a, a fist pump in the air or something that, um, that helps? We're going to have communion um, towards the end of the preach. So if you would like to take part in communion and you haven't got a communion unit, cup and wafer, just put your hand up and someone in the hospitality will bring that uh, to you. I interrupted you as soon as I said say hi to someone next to you, didn't I? Um, for those who didn't know, one of our own, Carl Barker, is running the London Marathon. I think he would still be running. Would that be right? I've no idea. What's that? He did his first 10K. Woohoo! I had some friends who did the Para 10 Miler yesterday. Anyone else go running in yesterday's weather? Wise people. The church is full of wise people. Um, just to add my welcome, if you're here for the first time, it's great to have you with us and nice to see some friends who are back after our essay. Thank you for your word. First time here and you're sharing God's word. That We need more of that. Okay, we, we believe everyone has got the spirit of God and if you're a believer in Christ and we want, to, want you to encourage us and exhort us. I think it's probably an area, maybe the major area we need to grow in as a church in using our gifts on a Sunday. It doesn't have to be up front. It can be sharing words with people in the rows, but we want more and more of that. I'm going to start in a moment just with something different. So I wonder if someone can get ready to put the lights off. We're going to play a... They're at the back there, just by the toilet. So we're going to um, play a video. I want you to have something to write on if you can, or your phone or something, or just make a mental note of it. As this video rolls, it's just a minute long. All it is is some visuals and some sound. Okay, and um, the reason we're doing that, I'm putting the lights off, is just to help you gather your scattered senses, okay, because we're in a myriad of places right now. And I just want you to think about just what comes to mind, and during this minute, I just want you to think about God, as general and specific that is. I just want you to pause for a moment, okay, so breathe, whatever it does to relax, relax you. And we're just for a minute, we're going to play the video, we can kill the lights now, there you go, ooh. I just want you to think on God. You might want to close your eyes and listen. You might want to watch the visuals. It helps you get your attention. And I just want you to pay attention to what comes to mind when you think on God. Do I need to buy some time? Just play it whenever we're ready. Just have to restart. Okay. So I've already asked you the question. So before the video comes, I want you to make a note whether it's mental or write something down. I think it's helpful to get your thoughts out and then you can look back on it. So I'm going to ask you to look back on it. Is what comes to mind when you think on God. Okay? So I'm going to pray and then we will play the video. Okay. Lord Jesus, we come to you and your words and to your people this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness to us. Thank you that you've been speaking to us, whether we've been listening or not or distracted. And we invite you now to come and help us and speak to us, God, as we think on you. Amen. Are we good to go? About 20 seconds. You can, be, you can adopt a very deeply spiritual <laughs> pose right now. Um, or I could tell you something, but we're just going to wait. Silence is not too bad, is it? Think on God while you're waiting.
is it going to work? It's okay if not. Be a maths of anticlimax, though. So when the video plays, just be attentive to it and just think, God, 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 whatever comes to your thoughts and attention, I want you to make note of it. It might be an emotion or it might be a, a picture or it might be just a, an objective conception, whatever it might be. we just carry on James or yeah doing it already but if you haven't done it just be attentive to what your thoughts are most of you look like you were thinking thinking on God have, have most of you done that so I just want you to um, turn to the person next to you and just say one or two of the things that came to mind okay we can have the lights on thank you just say one or two of the things that came to mind as you thought of God you don't have to tell them because you, you know, you might be like, is that okay to think of God like that? Um, but just go on and, and, and um, share that thought. Um. So just as a general survey, who thought, who saw a picture? Who had images come to mind? Who had a song come to mind? Who had just concepts, ideas and words uh, come to mind? Okay, the reason I asked you to do that is because we are starting a series through this term called God Is. Can you say God Is? And it's a series looking at the attributes of God, stuff that God is or is like or the best way that we can conceive that God is like. And the reason we're doing that is because I think, and I agree with someone, I'm going to quote them on, what you think of God, particularly in our day and age, as it always has been, is vitally important. So A.W. Tozer, who wrote a great book called The Knowledge of the Holy, I recommend it to you. He says this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That kind of is obvious, but I don't know if we think about it. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous, I had to look that up, important, impacting. The most portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. It's actually quite hard for us to figure out what we conceive God to be like, really, because we have our automatic answers and we have the right answers and we know, but what do you really think God is like? And that will tell in the moments that you're not being deliberately conscious and thoughts come out. He goes on and he says this. Were we to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God? We might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. I think he's absolutely right. 
And the reason, when he wrote this book, he was bemoaning the loss of, if you like, the olden day awareness of the glory of God. But this was a long time ago. I think he's absolutely right. Have you ever thought and paused to think, what do I actually think about God? Especially when I'm not at church or I'm not at life group or I'm not having my devotional 10 minutes. What during the day, our whole life, are we obviously or just subconsciously conscious of thinking about what God is like? Do our thoughts even turn to God? And generally, our conception about God and godliness has changed. So if you were to think about an image that resembles godliness and you go to Google, that great philosopher, the images of holiness and godliness probably look something like this. Okay, there's a sunset. It's glorious. There's, there's freedom and it's warm and it's joyful. That can be because of what's around us, how we conceive of like godliness. It's freedom it's enjoyment of God's creation, it's wonder, it's glory, it's adoration. And all those things are good, are they not? Many years ago, a picture of godliness or of what a godly person looked like because of their conception of who God is might look like this. Okay? So that's how I probably was brought up. There's a, someone who's worn with life's troubles and the weight of them and despite everything is holding on to God's word. Or there is an old gentleman there deeply in meditative, weighty devotional. That's the picture of what godliness would have been like in our minds back in the day, I would have thought. For some of us, it's still that depending on our upbringing. Whereas it's now changed to the glorious sunshine picture. It's not true of everyone. I'm, I'm painting a very broad brushstroke in there. And I think that reflects one of the great good bits that we've learned about God is that he's wonderful, he's warm, we can approach him, we can delight in him, there's freedom in him. But I do think we've maybe lost something of the weightiness of God, that no matter what happens, he's sturdy, that he's an anchor for the soul, that he is to be revered, and that we are to approach him with awe. Where do you fall on that spectrum, if you like? I think it's meant to be both and, weighty and wonderful. Can you say that? Weighty and wonderful. But we're all prone to fall maybe a bit, you know, I like the wonder. It's God's wonderful. He loves me. I love him. Others of us, God is just so other. He's holy. I'm unworthy. I personally have had to journey from there to learn this so that I can enjoy both. But I think I'm, I'm trying to make sure I let the weight and the, the, the glory of God that's what the word glory means, kabod. It means the weight, the heaviness, all that God is. So when we sang earlier, God let your glory fall, what do we sing? We say, God let just your presence and all that you are come and weigh down on us so that we're aware of you. Weighty and wonderful. And that's my heart for this series, is that we would both grow in the wonder and the wonderfulness of being able to think on God and be with God but that we would recapture the weight of it. Because I think the more you see the weight and then you realize that you're a child of God, I think your wonder increases. Shallow wonder is because of shallow weight, awareness of who God is. I think we see this even in our prayers. So the Lord's Prayer starts, go on, you've all, most of you know, our Father who art in 
heaven. And I have preached it, and I think fatherlessness and a lack of awareness of God as a father is a huge problem in our world. And I have for many, many years, there's a few slides on James, focused on that we can come to God as a father. But we often forget that He is in heaven. He is above he is beyond. He is superior. Hallowed be His name. Other, glorified and honored be His name. Where do you put the emphasis in the Lord's Prayer? Is it that we can approach God and that we have freedom? You must have both. I'm not emphasizing one is more important than the other because that's when things go wrong. But I think we need to work harder sometimes to get the weight. Depending on your predisposition. Some of us are very... Easily critical of ourselves and we go in on ourselves and woe is me because, and we forget it's wonderful that because of grace I can come before God. That, that used to be me. Anyone bought some Ikea furniture recently? Has anyone moved into a house and your grandmother's weighty, heavy, you can't take it apart, bit of furniture doesn't fit up the stairs to the small room and you've had to dispose of something old and weighty and wonderful and get a flat pack Ikea that can go up the stairs and you can build it in the room. Anyone ever had to go through that? Yes, lots of times. Our whole life is make it light, make it easy, make it flexible so you can do what you want, even down to your Ikea furniture. Nothing wrong with Ikea furniture. That's what's in our house. But it's an interesting picture. Before, you used to have this treasured, handed down through generations, weighty bit of furniture that you just can't take apart, but you can't get into modern homes. And you have to say bye to it or shove it in a place it doesn't fit right because it's so precious. And you go and buy a flat pack that you can fit in your room and comes apart easily. There's a lot about our life that's about convenience and about ease. And I think it can be like that in church as well. Jen Wilkin. She said this, she said, when we lose sight of the majesty of God, we invariably fill the gap with our vision, in our vision with the fable of the majesty of someone else. We revere a spouse or a leader, we worship our children or a friend, we even give reverence and awe to ourselves. And this is complete folly. Not only is it unwise to give our worship to someone other than God, it is the very definition of irrationality, and it's an exhausting business. When God is not big and all-consuming, other things are big and all-consuming. Many of you remember the story of the spies going into the promised land in the Old Testament. They were filled with promises. Twelve spies went to spy out this land that God said was an inheritance. They all came back and said, the land is wonderful. It's flowing with milk and honey. And there are giants in the land. Ten of them said, but there's giants in the land. And so they weren't obedient because God, what God had said was small, but the giants were big. The others acknowledged the size of the obstacles and the challenges, but they said, but God has said, because God was big in their eyes and in their hearts and in their minds and in their souls. And everything else found its place in view of a big, big God. He's Weighty and he's wonderful. Say it again. He's and wonderful. And so we are going to unpack the incommunicable attributes of God through the series. So there's a table on the screen. So when people talk about the attributes of God, there are a myriad of things that you can talk of that are true of God. The table on the left are what are called the incommunicable attributes. Things that are only true of God and who God is. The ones on the right are things that are true of God 
and that we can be and grow into. So God says, be holy as I am holy. He's loving, we are to be loving. So the list on the right are things that we are to grow into and aspire to as Christians. The things on the left are that which are true only of God himself. So there's kind of two series there. We're just going to focus on the ones on the left. It's a bit easier to focus on the ones on the right. And we touch on them because who God is does affect our daily life. This is not just some theoretical abstract concept of who God is. It inevitably affects our life. But we're going to have a week on those. Some of you are like, oh my goodness, I don't even know what these words mean. You know, sermon series on all of those. It's okay, okay. I'm not going to just be doing definitions all the time. So the infinity of God is just immeasurable. The very first thing that happens when you're born is you get measured and weighed even before you're born. The very first thing that ever happens in your existence is a declaration that you're not God because you're measurable. You're not infinite. Can't wait to preach that one in the coming weeks. And then the rest, incomprehensibility. Like You can't really fathom God, so that's my disclaimer. <laughs> I'm not going to do a thorough job on this, but as best as we can. And we're going to go through these, and I trust our eyes will be lifted, our hearts will be enlarged, and our wonder will grow as we see the weight of God. Are you up for that? It's a bit like fasting or going on diet. So um, the first few days of a, of a diet or fasting are the worst because you're weaning... Is that me? Because you're weaning yourself off sugar, aren't you, and other things. And nothing is quite as nice for a few days. In fact, everything's a bit bland as you come off food. Is that okay? Should I just keep them? As you come off food. But what happens as you wean yourself off everything you thought was wonderful, and then you start eating food again, you can actually taste it. Have you known when you've been on a diet or you fast, and you think, man, this food without sauce is wonderful. Three weeks later, you're covering it in sauce because that's the way we go. But your taste buds are awakened again, aren't they, after a bit of diet or fasting? And you start to think, I don't need sugar. I don't need ketchup. I don't need barbecue, brown sauce, or whatever it might be, or chili. Or something. All those are beautiful. But as you come away from something, you start to see it is nice, but there is something beautiful about having a fresh view. So that's what we want to try and do. Just talk about God in these weeks and how wonderful He is. So all I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to go through a few scriptural examples where people encountered God and the effect it had on them. So if you have your Bibles, which I encourage you to have, turn to Isaiah chapter 6. If you don't, it will be on the screen if you want to scroll to it, you have your phones. If you don't even know what Isaiah is, it's okay. Um, very happy to try and get your Bible if you would like that. So in Isaiah, we have this quite probably well-known, if you've been in church, encounter with God. So I'm just going to read it and then just point out a few things. So I'm just going to read these examples and allow them to whet our appetite. So Isaiah, he has this encounter with God. And it says in verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, angels. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. That's a weighty encounter with God. Would you agree? 
how would you respond? We sing, Lord, let your glory fall. We have no idea what we are asking. Isaiah's response, verse 5. And he said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lip. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Do you notice the journey that Isaiah goes on? Woe. Well, glory first. Glory, God. In all his magnificence, in his immutability, incomprehensibility, omniscience, omnipotence, all of those things. God, big view, weighty God. Woe. <laughs> in view of God. Woe is me. When you meet with God, you don't need someone to try and help you see your sin. You just know. You, you just know. I'm not God. And then he encounters grace. The angel comes and says, your sin is atoned for. Hey, glorious, whoa, no, no, no. Your sin is atoned for. And so what is his response? He just, he hears God saying, who will go for me? He's like, send me. And your response when you see the glory of God, you see your sin and you taste the grace of God is just to say, I'm all yours. <laughs> what do you want, God? When we struggle all of us do this, to put God first and to follow God faithfully is because we've not got a weighty view of God and therefore grace is cheap. And we think God's done a nice thing for me. No, 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 no. He's done the impossible thing you needed to have any hope whatsoever. High view of God leads to a high view of grace and it leads to worship. You wonder why some people when they come to worship just immediately it's wonderful. It's because they know that they should be saying, whoa, but they've received grace. And so they're just like, this is wonderful. It's one of the great dangers of a church filled with Christians. I don't think we are that, which is wonderful, is we get used to it. And that's beautiful. It's beautiful that it's normal that we're children of God. But it, it, we can lose the weights of that. So when someone comes in and their lives have been saved and yesterday they thought they were heading for hell and today they're going for they're going to jump and scream and dance and be unashamed about it. May God give us those stories. And may we see that again. Glory, God, show us your glory in the series. Whoa. When you feel the weight of God and you feel your conviction, but you know the grace of God, it leads to life and repentance without regret. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. The journey and the catching up into the weights and the wonder. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, dot, 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 demands my soul, my life. Have you ever sung that line? Demands. What does that mean? Does that mean God's up there saying, give me your life, give me your soul? Or is it, when I survey the cross, glory, whoa, grace. There's this inside of me that says, I must give it to God. It demands. I've been won over. I've been caught over. I no longer have a little version of God. I no longer have an airbrushed version of God. I no longer have a God who serves my purposes. I have God and I'm his and it demands my soul and he's so gracious to me. That's Isaiah. Next one, Moses. 
In Exodus chapter 33, there's a build-up to this. I want to encourage you to read these scriptures in Life Group. There are Life Group notes on the website. Even if you're not a Life Group leader, get them and dwell on them. In Exodus 33, God says to Moses, go somewhere. And Moses says, I'm not going unless you come with me, God. Good decision. You're like, God, you've got to come with me. And he, he persists with God. And then Moses says after all of this, well, I, I just need a bit more. He says, show me your glory. Look at what God says. If you're stuck on the woe, you need this. Do you know, I've freshly seen this recently. Show me your glory. And God says, I will make my goodness. Say goodness. goodness. Pass before you. Note that. Show me your glory. I thought God would say, I'm going to make my holiness pass before you. I'm going to make my power pass before you. I'm going to make my weight pass before you. What does God say? I will make my goodness. Stunning, isn't it? When you're really <laughs> been following Jesus for many years, you think, I... Now, of course, his goodness includes all of that. As you go on, it says... I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious. Look at the tone of this. This is not what you expect when God's going to let his glory be shown to you. Goodness, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover with my hand until I pass. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Show me your weight. Show me your wonder, God. Let me show you my goodness. That's the series. It's going to be the goodness of God. Attribute after attribute after attribute is the goodness of God to you. Because he is good. I wanted to preach the first one on goodness, but it didn't fit with the series of incommunicable attributes. But God is good. Is that how you think about God? Come on. He's good. Amen. Amen. Can I have a hallelujah? hallelujah? There you go. I've got my kids saying it, but they sound very American now. They say, amen, hallelujah. It's true, though. It brings something out of you. So you have this with Isaiah. You have this glory. Whoa, grace. I'm all yours. With Moses, you have shown me your glory. I need to know power. The weight of God is with me. God says, let me show you my goodness. It's awe-inspiring. It's terrifying. It's wonderful. So I'm going to hide you in a cleft, but it's my Goodness, stunning. Relax. Attributes of God are not just weighty, they're wonderful. Then Hebrews chapter 12, again, turn there if you can. It says this. There's lots of imagery, and I'm, I realize I'm not explaining all of it, but bear with it, but take away the principal points we're drawing out. So in Hebrews, often comparing the old covenant before Christ and the new covenant, how people used to relate to God, how they relate to God now. For you have not come to what may be touched. You have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages been spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be Stone. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. So this is Mount Sinai, when the glory of God comes down on the mountain. God's people are to remain at a distance. Moses is communing with God. It was terrifying for the people. And interestingly, when you read it, the people at that moment decided, hey, we don't want to relate to God directly. This is too terrifying. We need other people to intervene for us. 
and they set in motion something that didn't need to be. But come back to this. Verse 22, in contrast to that terrifying experience, but you have come to Mount Zion, biblical imagery for the heavenly Jerusalem, where we will one day all dwell as part of a Christian inheritance now. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, still awesome, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It's just as wonderful. It's just as awesome. It's just as weighty and terrifying. But you're coming to a mediator. You're coming to this place where you have been cleansed and you can come to it now. Cleansed and free from all your sin and your baggage. Whatever you did last night, whatever you did this morning, the trajectory of your life thus far, you can be cleansed by the blood of the Lamb and come to this beautiful thing. But it is weighty and wonderful. It goes on in Hebrews. And says this, therefore, verse 28, in view of this weighty and wonderful God, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's not flimsy. It's weighty. And thus, in view of all of this, in view of this God we're going to unpack in this series, let us offer to God acceptable worship with These are the key verses. This is what God should inspire us with reverence and awe. Can you say reverence and awe? For our God is a consuming fire. With reverence. That's the weight. That's the wonder. That's the glory. And awe. And he's come to us. He's touched our lips. He's touched our lives. He's shed his blood, washed us clean. Is full of goodness that we can receive because of Christ having taken away our sin, died in our place. Now we get to go as him before the Father, dressed in his robes of righteousness with reverence and awe. He's no less of the God of Mount Sinai. He's no less of the God of smoke and thunder and angels Not even can't even see his glory cover. God gives them wings so that they can just be in his presence. And so he's no less of that God, but we can come to him, mediator of a better covenant. Jen Wilkins says this, the author of Hebrews takes care to distinguish between the fear of God's consuming wrath and the fear of God's holiness. Both may cause us to tremble, but only the second causes us to worship and repent. God's consuming wrath is true. He's the judge. He's worthy. He's unquestionably right we deserve, we are objects of wrath apart from Christ's mercy and forgiveness. But he's also this holiness. Both cause us to tremble, but the holiness of God causes us to worship and repent. Because of Christ, you and I do not come cowering to fearsome, thundering Mount Sinai. Instead, we come expectantly to glorious, approachable Mount Zion. We are exhorted to respond to this God by offering him acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Worship for reverence and awe is the right fear of God. So what does it mean to fear God? Because it's the beginning of wisdom. It's to come with worship for reverence and awe. And sometimes that's quiet and still. Sometimes it's joyful and exuberant. Because we will not let the rocks cry out in their silentness and beauty. 
louder than us declaring the glory of God. We, we, there's angels in heaven who have never tasted grace. Do you know that? The angels don't understand grace in the way we do because they've never needed it. And yet they, he's awesome. You and I have received grace. So whether you're sitting in silent awe and reverence, work on your heart, whether you're jumping and you're shouting and you're saying, hallelujah, let there be awe and reverence in your hearts. So I'm going to play this video. (laughs) And then we're going to have communion. And then we're going to come back to worship for a while. Does that sound good? Are you ready for the series? So some of you are like, oh, I don't need to know the weightiness of God anymore. Yes, you do, in the right way. It doesn't crush you. It convicts you, but it leads to repentance and life. Others of us, we need to realize that afresh so that this grace, you know, we're probably guilty of it. It's easy. We want you to be saved, guys. <laughs> if you're not a Christian today, the most important thing is that you meet with God by the blood of the Lamb of Jesus. You have your sins atoned for and you trust in Christ as your Lord. And sometimes in the urgency for us to get you to receive Christ, we, we don't always speak about the weight of God. Communion is so helpful in that, isn't it? It's a reminder that he shed his blood the king of glory, but it speaks a better word and we're cleansed. It's beautiful. It's both and. So are we good with the video? So I just want you, with everything I've said, pause for a moment. I just want you to invite God to freshly enlarge your heart. We all need it, don't we? Whatever phase or stage of life in, could someone grab the lights from the video, please? Please, thank you. Um, so just pause and ask God to speak to you. Okay, Becca, could you do the lights for us, please? Thank you. Right, let's play the video and just think on God, imageries that I've shared so far. feel the need to kneel, others just to sit. Others of us, maybe they'll be weeping. Others of us, you feel a shout birth in you. Come to us, almighty, risen Lord. Let your glory fall.
under for the band would like to come up, please, guys. If you've got your communion cups, if you want to grab them, if you still need, um, if you want to join in, just pop your hand up and someone will bring you one. Um, there's just a little film on the top with the wafer. Jesus said, didn't he, to do this in remembrance of him. Um, so if you're not a, if you're not a Christian, um, this is for Christians as we remember and align ourselves with Christ. Um, so please don't take it now unless you're calling on Jesus today to be your Lord and Savior. Then you can take and say, this is my Lord. His body was broken for me. And so as you take the wafer and as you break it, Lord, we remember your broken body. We remember this almighty God of glory condescending to come as a man and as a baby and to be killed and spat on and mocked. We remember that you did that for us. The Son of God become a son of man so that the sons of men could become sons of God. Stunning. We remember you, God. Let's stand together. Brothers and sisters, you come to <laughs> the mediator of a new covenant. It says of Jesus that he lives to intercede for you. So he's not kicking back right now. He's risen in glory. He's just chilling. He's deliberately, ongoingly living to make intercession for you, which means that he is pleading before the Father and working to bring about in your life all that he's won for you which is partly the revelation of God and the grace and the wonder and the joy of the Holy Spirit. If you know that you're not walking with God, tell Him now. Confess and repent of your sin. He is a mediator, but He is the mighty one. It says that we come to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel cries out for vengeance. He was killed and His blood cries out for vengeance. The blood of Christ cries out forgiveness. It cries out mercy. It cries out that He took all the vengeance that should have been poured out on you. It cried out that all the revenge that should be poured on you by anyone at any time. He willingly and joyfully takes it. It speaks a better word. It speaks son. And it speaks daughter. And it speaks forgiveness. And it speaks mercy. So as we do this, Jesus, we remember and we listen. We listen to the words of Jesus. The truth of Christ forgiveness and mercy welcome freedom to boldly approach the throne of grace and receive mercy and find help in our time of need that's the goodness of God you don't come before the throne to display your deeds but to receive mercy and find help in your time of need we remember your spoken word Jesus over us we're going to worship we're going to sing we're going to tell the wonder of Jesus I want you to, this week, find a way daily. You can find this video, if that's helpful with the music, it might, might not be helpful, on our YouTube accounts. Take one, two, three minutes to just stop every day. Think on God. Maybe kneel at your beds before you go to sleep every night this week and just think, wow, God. Maybe have a verse to read first thing in the morning. Maybe read these verses every day. Exodus, Hebrews, Isaiah. Let your heart be filled with the wonder of God. 
Deus abençoe.